media, intersectionality, and community. Hi, everyone. This is Heather Vickery, and you have tuned in to the Brave Files podcast. We are still celebrating pride over here in such a big way. And today's guest is fucking blowing it up in incredible and amazing ways. Listen, imagine a curated app dedicated to sharing music and podcasts specifically from Black, Indigenous, people of color, and queer, trans people of color. Well, Anna Deshawn imagined it, and then she hustled for it, raised the money for it, and built it. And now it's a real live thing, like like a fucking queer superhero magician or something. Anna and her team have just released The Cube, and they created and released this incredible, amazing resource and app because they are determined to ride media into its next era by utilizing digital media streams to tell the stories and play the music that deserve to be heard. You can download The Cube right now, so remember to do that, but wait until after you've listened to the episode. And get ready, because you are going to fall in love with Anna, my friends. You really are. You're listening to The Brave Files, where we share stories from people who've stepped out of fear and into bravery in every possible way. What we know for sure is that when we choose bravely, on purpose, we choose bigger, we win bigger, and it's contagious. It's our hope that these stories connect with you and encourage you to embrace bravery in every possible way, day after day. Together, we can build a movement that enriches both our lives and our communities. The Brave Files is brought to you by Vickery & Co., a success and leadership coaching firm dedicated to helping you build a life and a business that you are absolutely in love with. Vickery & Co. offers group programs, membership communities, one-on-one coaching, VIP days, corporate trainings, workshops, keynote speaking, and so much more. Visit vickeryandco.com to get all the details. Folks, you know that here at The Brave Files, we believe that standing up for what you believe is right is brave as fuck. And building a business to actively support what you believe is right is next level brave. And today's guest, Anna Deshawn, joins us to talk about her amazing brave journey with, oh my God, there's so many cool things, but I'm going to call it active anti-racism work and anti-homophobic work. And you can give me whatever other terms you want, Anna. But listen, media has always been Anna's passion. And in 2009, she turned that passion into a reality when she founded E3 Radio, which is an online radio station playing queer music and reporting on queer news with an intersectional lens. We're going to ask some questions about that. Most recently, Anna raised the funds and founded The Cube, which is a curated app of music and podcasts by BIPOC, QTPOC, QTPOC creatives. I'm going to let Anna tell you what all those things mean because I'm cracking myself up today. Anna is determined to rid media of all of its bullshit, racist, homophobic stuff and bring it into the next era by utilizing digital media streams to tell the stories and play the music that deserves to be heard. I am so Glad you are here, Anna. Welcome to the Brave Files. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here, Heather. Thank you for having me. 
Big ups to all your listeners. Yes. Well, we're excited because you are our first episode in Pride Month. And that was very intentional because we are really, you're doing a whole podcast tour and journey promoting the Cube. You know, I told folks what it is, but why don't you tell folks what the Cube is? And then we're going to get to your brave story, which is so beautiful. But I am such a supporter of what you're doing here with the Cube app. And why don't you tell everybody what it is and how they can get it and how they can use it? Absolutely. So like you said, right, I started E3 Radio back in 2009 to really tell the stories of queer Black folks here in Chicago. I just felt like it wasn't happening. And we've been doing that for a decade. It's been a passion project. But I, I quickly realized we needed a better way for people to tune in. So people were listening on our website, and they still do. And I love them for that. But we listen to audio on apps, yeah. period. Yeah, we do. And so we know we need to create an app. And when we started dreaming about what this app could do, podcasting, of course, became part of the conversation. And we were seeing the same disparities that I see in queer media in podcasting. And we wanted to solve the problem. So we decided to put the radio station together with podcasting and we get the cube. So it is what you said. And it is the one and only curated destination for music and podcasts by Black, Indigenous people of color and queer trans people of color in one spot. And so the music is powered by E3 Radio and we are hosting podcasts by BIPOC folks and curating our own Cube original podcast as well, which I'm excited to talk about too. Oh my God, I think that's amazing. Obviously, this is needed for you to be the one and only. And of course, you know, we've learned that it's all about, you know, collaboration over competition. The more people who show up in this space, the more this space is getting the recognition that it deserves, but somebody's always gotta be first. And I think you're an amazing person to be doing that. So how did you, let's go back, let's go back to 2009. How did you end up doing radio work? What led you into podcasting? How did we get here? I fell in love with Robin Roberts when I was like seven. <laughs> um, Didn't we all? So, <laughs> that's, you know, that's where it started. I, I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to be on Sports Center doing play-by-play announcing, and that was going to be my jam. I went to school for it. I went to undergrad for it. I got my master's in communications. I have just always felt like radio and television and media could affect some real change. If it's done well, it can really impact people's lives if it's done well. And when I was an undergrad, I was just learning about all these amazing Black women who I had never learned about before. The Fannie Lou Hammers of the world. So sad. It's it's sad. Fannie Lou Hammer, Ella Baker, these amazing women. And and I wanted to start off by creating commercials and PSAs to amplify these women. I like that. And it just has grown into what it is today. But that's how it all started. Okay. So what were you doing professionally before you started E3? Or were you still in school? No, I had the idea um, when I was still in school. Okay. But professionally, I spent a decade in online digital media streaming. So it wasn't too far off no. from what I did with E3 Radio. Yeah. Not at all. It complemented each other very nicely. I worked in corporate America producing broadcasts, online broadcasts for some of your, your favorite corporate 100, 500 companies around the world. Wow. I mean, that's it sounds like a very cool job. Was it cool or did you hate it? No, it was cool. <laughs> and uh, the people I worked with are amazing. They're like, they were family. They are family to me. Yeah. And I was in a tech startup, you know, in the middle of the boom. And so oh, we were the little God guy. Damn. 
Yeah. 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 It was pretty cool until COVID hit. And then everybody who we had been selling, trying to sell to for the last, you know, umpteenth years, all of a sudden collided upon the space and, you know, things change fairly quickly. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic changed everything for everyone. And was fascinating. That was the time when, I mean, podcast has been consistently booming for really probably about a solid five years now, but more people started podcasts than because they were fucking sitting at home, right? Started podcasts, but for the first, I don't know, eight months, listening went way down because people listen on their commutes, right? And so they had to relearn like when, oh, can I still listen to a podcast if I'm sitting in my backyard? I can't go anywhere or in my bedroom. It's all back, y'all. Don't worry. See, you're here listening. But it was a really fascinating thing for more podcasts to be coming out. But listenership, I mean, everyone I know, their listenership bottomed out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the data has shown us that. Um, what everybody was experiencing now. But like you said, the data has also shown that it's on the uptick that people are found like cleaning around the house, mm-hmm. lounging around the house, because people were also adjusting to being at home and working. Yeah. People were working, you know, 16 hour days, never leaving their computers, not having any type of balance yes. in their so lives. Right. Clients. So, yep. What about you? Yeah. Did you fall victim to that? Not really, only because. I worked in tech, so I always had a work from home day. <laughs> yeah. I already had an office at home, right? Yeah. It was built into our program. I worked from home on Fridays for as many years as I worked at the company. So working from home wasn't something new to us. Working from home every day was new. Yeah. And what else was new was the workload because the whole world was pounding, you know, six companies that were in the space who could broadcast to their global workforces and not just consumer broadcasts. So um, my workload was insane, which kept me busy. It also helped to pass the time, but it also made it very clear to me that it, that's, that was the trigger. Like you need to get out. It's time to, it's time to do your own thing. There's no time like what's happening right now to step out and give my passions, everything I got. Yes. I really feel like this work is the epitome of anti-racism work, right? Where not being a, a racist just means don't be a fucking asshole. But anti-racism work is real work. It's it's making change. It's creating change. And if you don't think that that's what this is, then you can say that because I'm all about like, tell me if you think I'm wrong. But I I think it's really important to put this up. Where did you get the idea for the cube specifically? I know you had E3 and I know you said you know, people listen on, on apps and they do for sure, but to be very specific and to do this intersectionality, I love that you picked that as one of your words for people of color, podcasters of color, queer trans podcasters of color, which is again, even niche down even more. Yeah. So for me, it's important to name people. Yes. And, and my marketing folks don't like it because to your point, saying BIPOC and QTPOC and people not even knowing what it means. QTPOC is new, who... y'all. I'm sorry. I feel embarrassed, but it's new. <laughs> I think a lot of people are used to QPOC or uh, QPOC, but intentionally naming trans folks too. Yes. It is just important to name people when that's who you want to center and celebrate. And I believe that the folks we want to reach and target here will know that I'm talking to them. And so my marketers hate it because they're like, Anna, we need something short and catchy. And I'm just like, 
this is not the time for short and catchy. <laughs> not right here. We can be short and catchy and all the things in other places, but it is important to be named because so often we are not named. So often yeah. we are left out of the story, right? So when I look at the top 50 LGBTQ media outlets today, if you look at a list of them, none of them center the experiences of queer trans people of color as their primary audience. That is not none of them. Yeah. And if and if I look at the top 50 podcasts on Spotify, right across categories, right, a handful, and I literally mean a handful of those hosts identify as black, indigenous or a person of color. And and what I know for sure and based on the data is that 43% of the people listening to podcasts are people of color. Yeah. They are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And so are you telling me that they aren't creating podcasts? Absolutely not. What's happening is just a lack, a pure lack of investment and visibility Marketing. for yeah. this market. This, uh, and you know, <laughs> if we wait for someone else to do it, it might not be something I like. So I figured- And it might not get done. And it might not ever get done, yeah. right? Absolutely. And one of my favorite people on the planet is Shirley Chisholm. And so she has a quote, right, that says, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Fucking A. And Make your own table. That's what I'm saying. We can build our own table. Yeah. We can build our own chairs. And those that want to join us can join us. Uh, but we can't wait on systems and or capitalism to come along for the ride, right? Like my work, to your point, is totally anti-racist. It totally is fighting against the white supremacy and anti-LGBTQ folks out here in the world. Cause I just wanna center and celebrate my people, period. Yeah, I love that. Now let's clear up for anyone. Obviously it's an app that if you are willing to pay for it, anyone can have access to, but who, it's clear to me that the creators we will find on the app are people of color and also queer trans people of color. I assume they they can be both or one or the other. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and and I will say I will say that the app is also free, right? So everybody don't have to pay to get access. Oh wait, so we have... I thought it was a membership based app. How did why did I think that? Well, because there is there is a premium. Oh. There is a premium version that you can upgrade to. But for me, this is about discoverability. Yes. And I don't want there to be a paywall in between a user finding some of these amazing content creators. So Okay, I love that. To your point, yes, the the po the podcasters inside of our app are identify as a black indigenous person of color. And I'm intentionally centering also queer trans people of color um, as content creators here. And I'm just so excited yeah. about all of the content that we have inside of the app. We also don't own anyone's content, right? We are hosting their content as a way for you to discover them. So important. And when you come into the app, you can subscribe to their podcast and then you can immediately tip them. Yes, tip jars. We want to whoop, whoop. Come on, yes. tip jars. We want to we put money in creators' pockets. You know, in the marketplace, right, today, there's over 2 million podcasts and more than, what, 70% are inactive or haven't made a podcast in six months. It's because people aren't making any money. And it's so hard. Um, it's it's a, it's it's so a grueling job if you don't really love it or if you're not making money. And unless you're a big name, you're not, ma you're not making money. 
<laughs> you're really not right so the least we can do is help someone pay for an editing session right the least we can do is put some money in their pocket to at least cover maybe a new microphone yeah. right these things matter and it gives people encouragement to keep going you know, every podcaster I feel is building their own community. You have your communities with your podcasts, right? These are your people. And I think there is so much value in that. And, and it doesn't have to equate to 20 million followers, 5 million followers, 100,000. That's not what it equates to. The impact is when you have 100 people that listen to you every single day, every single episode, they are waiting to hear from you. Yeah. That is why the impact of podcast advertising is so bananas. That's why people can't wrap their heads around it. When Heather says something, you believe what Heather got to say. Aww, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you trust what she's saying. And I think that that's what's so incredibly special and what I've always loved about radio and podcasting takes it to a different level because it's on demand. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love everything about podcasting and radio. And the reason television didn't work out for me is because I didn't see anybody like me on television. Right. So there aren't masculine of center women on television. There isn't anyone sitting up really there in a suit. It's really deeply unfortunate. It is. It, I'm going to need you to go back next. Make that your next. I don't need you to. You That's know, not fair. If Robin Roberts calls. <laughs> if Robin, ESPN, Robin, do you listen to if, the <laughs> you know, Does anyone listening know Robin Roberts? Okay. Um, if ESPN started calling, I'm answering the phone. <laughs> but when you're 20 years old, and not comfortable yet in your own skin. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just not an option. And so when I was doing it and they were like, put this makeup on, you want me to look mm, a certain way. Yeah. And I'm just like, the people I see nope. on the anchor desk don't look like me. I just didn't feel at home. Yeah. And so it, when I got the opportunity to, to intern at a radio station in Des Moines, Iowa, where I was going to school and I had the opportunity to turn on Tom Joyner every morning, and people would call up and say, I love hearing your voice. I love hearing someone fresh on the air. And I'm sitting there in pajama pants. Okay. I'm like, this is it. I can really get into, <laughs> into radio. The pajama Maybe pants. This is my place. All, <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is my place. So we know who we're going to find on the cube. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask a question that I have to admit feels like a little bit of a dumb question. But there are no dumb questions, right? So who do you want your audience to be? Is your audience anyone because you want to lift up these voices or is your audience specifically the same people who you're featuring because you want them to feel comfortable and seen or maybe all of the above? My audience is anyone who is my primary audience. Let me be clear. Is anyone who is a super podcast listener. You are tuning into podcasts like five hours a week and you're looking for new content. You want to discover new things that you aren't finding in your favorite podcasting app and you're looking for something new. The cube is going to be your spot. Yeah. And so those are the people I am looking to reach because at the end of the day, we just want good content. And my mission here is to amplify those who you can't find. And so many of those people are black indigenous people of color. Mm -hmm. And what I think is also really special is that we aren't a search engine. And I want to be clear about that. We aren't a directory. I think there's a lot of people doing that very well. Pots and Color, Women of Color Podcasting, the Black Podcast Association, Latina to Latina. I mean, there's just a lot of people out here doing that well. We are curating everything. We've got a team of curators who listen to every podcast. Wow. Two people listen to one podcast before 
Um, we average the scores and activate or not activate their podcast inside the app. We have developed a Kubrick, which is our guide That's for what we deem makes Kubrick. You like that? I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We are copywriting that. You sure? Um, because I love it so much. Mm -hmm. But it's a guide that we put together that outlines what we think makes up a good podcast from your intro to your content delivery, to your production quality, to your consistency, to your interview style. We write all these things. So my hope is that people come into the app and even if they don't like a podcast, they'll say, but Heather might like this podcast. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and they feel good about sharing it because it doesn't sound like someone's on their iPhone on top of a roof on their third bottle of wine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this is good stuff. <laughs> you know, you it's important because I tell people like start your podcast right? Don't let lack of experience or lack of equipment stop you, but just know that as you grow, you're going to really want to care about the quality and the audio and things like that. Because listeners, if they know you and they like you, they'll listen if your sound is shitty, but if they don't, they're going to turn it off if your sound sucks, but don't let that keep you from starting. But what I think I'm hearing you say, Anna, is that these podcasters that you're going to feature, you're going to help them have good quality sound. So my hope is that when we grow, that we will be able to build out our production arm and help support podcasters in that way. Right now, the production arm is producing podcasts that are centering race and sexuality at its core. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about our Cube original content in that way. And then that's where the premium comes in with being having access to all of our Cube originals and like the extended content behind the scenes content yes. and that content being ad free as well. And it'll be, and it's $7.99 a month. And it's, you know. I mean, ad free is worth $7.99 a month. It's cup of coffee and uh you get you get 15% off at every tier so just go ahead and get the year for 80 bucks and just be a winner <laughs> right up there let's talk about your journey to raising these funds you indiegogoed it you get the idea for this app you want to create it what what then happens for you I rest because I just quit my corporate job I've had for 11 years yeah. Good for you. So I rested for about 30, 45 days, as much as a human like me rests. So putting that all into context. <laughs> You're a busy person, I know. <laughs> I, I just, I don't sit still very well. Yeah. But I, I knew I had received quotes and I knew how much it was going to cost us to get this app done. And I had saved, I had prepared for the moment to take the big leap of faith. So I wasn't as concerned about you know, my mortgage, my puppy and my expensive wife, as I like to say. <laughs> but I knew that I needed to raise the money to get the app done. And I knew I had a community of folks who would want to support me. And I knew all I had to do was make an ask. So I did a lot of research on how to run an effective crowdfunding campaign. I made I called 90 percent of the people who gave to the campaign. I put in a whole lot of work and ended up falling right in line with the SEMA fundraising campaign. And SEMA is the Chicago Independent Media Alliance powered by the Chicago Reader. And they do a fundraising campaign in June and ours just ended up overlapping and they ended up getting matching funds. So I had some people lined up to give $250, $500, $1,000. 
And SEMA kept getting matching funds. And eventually those matching funds actually became triple funds. Wow. So someone who was planning on giving me $500 actually ended up giving me $1,500. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing. So in the middle of the campaign, I course corrected. I called all these people <laughs> and I was like, don't give to the Indiegogo. So if anybody ever goes to the Indiegogo, it doesn't look like we hit the goal. But I redirected everybody to the SEMA campaign so that their dollars could be doubled and tripled. Wow. And that's ultimately how we were able to hit our goal of $70,000, which was incredible. Because because building an app is hella expensive. It's hella expensive. People's time is expensive. Um, developer. Yeah. It's worth it. It's not trying to say they're swindling, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And there's a lot of factors. And this is a big app, right? Um, some of the things that we're doing inside of the app, it, databases, streaming services, servers, it all costs money. It all costs money. And I'll say this, our developer loves the project so much that I'm paying him and then he gave to the crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> I said, I said, I love I you. Know. Here we go. I know. I always love that even because I think there's something really powerful about paying people the money they're due. I like trade. I'm a fan of trade, but in that situation, it just feels more honest to pay him fair for his work in a fair wage, but then he is passionate about what you're doing. He wants to support you back. I do that. I call, I support a couple of other podcasts on Patreon and they support me and we support each other at the same level and it totally cancels out and Patreon gets some of the money, but it's really not about that. It's really just about showing that support. So in your fundraising journey and now since then, the creation of the app and getting this out, what would you say has been the biggest struggle overall? Sustainable capital, mm. I would say, is the biggest struggle. I mean, I've got the passion. I've got the will. I feel like I'm pretty smart. I'm aligning myself with the people who I need to align myself with. I feel like God and the universe are cons conspiring on my yes. behalf. Yes. You know? Yes. But sustainable capital is a thing. And for anyone who's listening, you know, the stats around funding for Black women in venture capital land is less than 2% of us get funding. Yeah. And I believe, you know, and, and so when you look at those stats and you're like, huh, where do I fit into all of this? Aligning myself with accelerator programs mm -hmm. and leaders in that space who are telling me where I need to show up and where I need to be in order to raise the capital needed to really bring this to the market. So like Heather mentioned, I'm, I'm producing this podcast tour as a way to reach you all. But at the same time, they, to really make this thing successful and to have the impact that I want to have on the world, you need a really big marketing budget. Yeah. And you know, when someone starts cutting budgets, let me tell you the first thing that gets cut is marketing, mm -hmm. but it cannot be. We can all build and create these amazing things, but if no one knows it exists, the impact it can have um, won't be as yeah. large. Yeah. It just won't have the same um, level of impact. And so. Absolutely. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm looking for angel investors, etc. Okay. So that's fascinating to me because we have aired and I, off the top of my head, I don't know what episodes they are, but we will link to them in the show notes. We have interviewed, I have interviewed two women who are right in that investor space for you. And if you haven't 
contacted them. I feel like we should have talked about this already, Annie, because we've had several conversations before this interview. But so Black Girl Ventures, which is Shelly Bell's company, and she did, she's partnered now with Nike. Her face was up on Times Square not too long ago. It was amazing. She does some incredible stuff. So you should check her stuff out. And then also Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital. And they only fund minorities, period. Yes. So specifically black folks, people of color, queer folks, um, and women in general. But I think the more the, the more of a minority you are, the better chance the backstage capital is going to fund you. But you should check them out. And I loved both of those interviews. These are powerhouse fucking women. Holy shit. Just like you. Hey, if I could be mentioned in the same breath, okay? And I will be looking up Black Girl Ventures. I am very familiar with Arlen Hamilton and her work. Yeah. And we need more people like them in the space. Uh, we, re we received an, our first investment from Fifth Star Funds here in Chicago. And I want to definitely amplify their work. Awesome. Investing in Black and Latinx tech founders here in Chicago. And also amplifying the work of TechRise, which is an incubator and offers pitch competitions weekly for Black and Latinx founders where they write checks for twenty dollars to $50,000 every single week powered by Verizon. Wow. So, yeah, so both of those places have enabled us yeah. <laughs> to have some type of sustainable capital and funding and yeah. allowing us to pay this team of 15 folks who are working on behalf of the Cube to see this thing come to life. And so I'm really grateful for that. I mean, it's amazing that you're employing 15 people and that you're able to raise the funds to pay them a fair wage to do this amazing, important work. Does this work feel brave to you? No. <laughs> I know the work that I'm doing and I know it can pre be perceived as brave, but I feel like there are so many amazing, courageous people and I've had the privilege of being born in the time that I'm being born to be able to do the work because they did the hard work. Like I feel like Ella Baker was courageous and I feel like Fannie Lou Hammer was courageous and I feel like Coretta Scott King was courageous. Well, of course they were. You're not taking anything and away from them by owning no, your I just own don't... courage. All right, I'm going to push back mm -hmm. because don't you <laughs> think it's possible that folks are going to look back at you and what you're creating in 10 15, 20, 50 years and feel the way that you're feeling about some of these folks. I mean, listen, I get it. Some of these names are like wildly, mind-blowingly big, but somebody who wants to be in this field where you're laying this foundation, I just want everyone listening to know, like you claiming you're brave and courage doesn't take anything away from anyone else. It's not pie. I hear you. I will learn to receive that. <laughs> <laughs> let me know. Let me know if I can help because here, here's why I, I, here's why it, I think it matters, and here's why I push back on it. Because the hundreds of people that I've worked with, once they embrace what I call their everyday bravery, once they recognize that their existence is brave, that their work is brave, that their passions are brave, they start to show up even bigger in brave ways. They take bigger risks and you're already a risk taker. You're already doing that. But something unlocks and unleashes when we embrace our bravery to do bigger and win bigger and the payoff is bigger. And it's so 
contagious. And so I would love to help you unlock that a little because you're already crushing it. And I can't even fathom what would happen when you open up those floodgates. I hear that. I hear that. I will work on that. You can help me unlock that. I don't do that very well. I'm very sure that what I'm doing, I am called to do. Yeah. I'm very clear on that. And I'm very clear that I wake up every day and everything that I do does not feel like work. It just feels like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And my prayer and meditation corner keep me sane and balanced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I do brave and courageous things throughout the course of a day, I do feel like it's just what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but, and maybe, and just maybe I can receive everything you just said mm. and unlock some more. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that. I, I, I think it's really magical to say if, when I do brave, courageous things, it feels like it's just what I'm supposed to be doing and still name them as such and still celebrate them. So a question that I ask every guest on this show, and I feel like I might know the answer based on some things you just said, but I'm going to ask anyway, is how do you celebrate? Y'all should see Anna's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't celebrate often because I always feel like there's more work to do. I probably the extent of my celebration is telling my wife because she's often in the trenches with me. So she actually understands everything that I had to do to actually get to that moment. Mm -hmm. I will say I write in my gratitude journal. That's huge celebration. Yes. I, I, I love going back at the end of the year and reading them and it makes all the difference. And gratitude is a wonderful <laughs> form of celebration. That's why I've published two gratitude yeah. journals. Like that's huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I do that daily and I call my mom and dad because they're always really proud. Mm. And that's, and maybe I have a glass of tequila because tequila is my jam. So maybe I poured <laughs> myself some Casamigos. Yeah. And, I mean, those are wonderful ways that. to celebrate. You've shared them, yeah. right? The thing about the celebration train it's like motivation like the more you acknowledge and celebrate the more there is to celebrate and then when you share it it expands and you get the energy back and it just I mean what you're doing is hard work it is heart-centered hard work and so on the days where it doesn't go well it feels extra heavy right? Because it's so important. What you're doing matters so much. Yeah. But if we don't claim our brave and if we don't celebrate and we don't express gratitude for it, it's just, it feels like we're in the quicksand sometimes. I hear that. And you know who I love. So it's interesting that you bring up celebration because I learned to be more celebratory from podcasters. Yes. So last year I went to a couple of podcasting conferences and Almost every other session, it was like, you better celebrate every win. Mm -hmm. Did you get another follower? Did you hit a milestone listen? What episode are you on? Anything that you think you shouldn't celebrate, you probably should. Yeah. And I had never heard that before ever. 
before going to a podcasting conference. And and let's be clear, I hosted my show on E3 Radio for nine years, and I don't. We never did an anniversary episode. I never celebrated an anniversary. I I can't. I never kept track of what number episode I was on. As a matter of fact, to this day, I can't tell you how many I did over the last 12 years. I have no idea. Um, it's just not something I did. And it wasn't until last year when I went to these two podcasting conferences, I have recently like taken videos of like some numbers and shared followers and shared these milestones with people. But I learned from a podcasters. I, I love podcasters. that. I love the podcasting community. It is the most loving, affirming, supportive, celebratory community of people who really just want to see everyone show up and enjoy and keep showing up and just don't quit because it's such an easy industry to quit. If you're not celebrating all that, then you you quit because you're like, well, why am I here? What am I doing? A hundred percent. I The closest thing I can compare the podcasting community to is the running community that I found in Chicago. Mm. People who have decided and made a commitment to run, you know, three, four times a week. And they most have have like these amazing weight loss stories and just being a healthier person inside and out. And they are just the most supportive people on the planet, whether you're running your first 5k um, with black girls run or you've upgraded, you know, to doing <laughs> Iron Man. Okay. Yeah. It's the closest thing I can compare to a podcasting community to that I've experienced myself. I love that. I, I love you. I think I we met at a at the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce big holiday event here in Chicago. And right away your energy just felt alive and aligned. And I'm so grateful that you're here. I get to ask you, I'm so excited to hear your answer to this question. What is your favorite charitable organization to support? Easy. Affinity Community Services. <laughs> easy, easy question for me. Okay, tell us about them. Yeah, Affinity is a social justice organization. It's a nonprofit who's been serving Black LGBTQ folks here in Chicago with a particular focus on Black women for over 26 years. And they molded me, they mentored me, they're my family. And I gave of my time for many, many years to the organization. And I, I will scream from the mountaintops that affinity is absolutely necessary, not only for us today, but for future generations who need space and places to call home, as we still have so much more work to do in the LGBTQ community around visibility. Like more and more. More and <laughs> more. Like we just keep adding more and more. I'm, child, check, I'm, I'm telling you, if Texas mm. and Florida have their way, okay? Mm. So affinity is very necessary. I love them. Um, I love the work that they do. Thank you. Well, we so appreciate you sharing them with us. They're going to be our charity of the week. Ooh. And so we'll tag them. And listeners, you know, we we do this every week. And I just say the same thing like a broken record because I don't think you can hear it enough. We have to be together. We have to support one another. We are a global community of people that is healthier and happier and stronger when we support one another. So I ask that question every week so that you can go, oh, can I support? Can I like? Can I follow? Can I share? Can I give money or time or tell somebody else about this organization because it may change their life? Whatever speaks to you, please just show up because it makes such a difference in the world. All right, Anna, tell folks how they can learn more about you, reach out, how can they get the cube, 
all of that. Absolutely. And I feel you, Heather. Okay, I came from the church. It's about time, talent, and treasure. Okay, somebody got a T out there. At least one. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't come from church, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I felt it. I, I'm, I'm pinning myself as, as the next white gay Oprah. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Somebody's like, that's Ellen. I was like, no, 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 new. I'm new. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. There's no, there's only one Heather. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you can find me at AnnaDeshawn.com. You can follow me at Anna Deshawn across all the socials. But more importantly, you need to go download the cube. Do not leave this podcast without going to download the app. T-H-E-Q-U-B-E. Tell a friend, tell two friends. I believe we created an amazing space of discoverability. And I think you're going to really love the content and especially those Cube originals. Absolutely. Don't sleep on it. Don't sleep on it, y'all. It's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to listen myself. It's very exciting. Anna, will you share your three words with us one last time? Absolutely. Media, intersectionality, and community. Perfect. I can see all of those words in everything we've just talked about. Such an honor and a privilege to be in a community with you and to have you here. And you have all of my support if there's ever anything I can do or those of us here at The Brave Files can do to help get your message out. I hope you'll always reach out. I can't say thank you enough. Thank you. All right, folks, go download The Cube. And if you want to get the transcript for this, or you want to hear more of our episodes, you want to check out Shelly Bell's episode or Arlen Hamilton's episode, then just head on over to vickeryandco.com slash podcast or the Brave Files podcast.com. They'll take you to the same place. And, you know, I want to know what you think of the show. So do me a favor and make sure that you connect with me on Instagram. We are the Brave Files podcast on Instagram. And then slide into my DMs and let me know what's working for you, what's not. If there's some, I know, animated face, it sounds so dirty. It's not dirty. I'm partnered. Don't, you know, okay, we're not going to go there. I really want to know what's working for you. And if there's a guest you want to hear or a topic that you want me to cover and I can reach out and find a guest, let me know. I will respond to you directly and I appreciate it. So thank you for being here. This is Heather Vickery reminding you today and every single day to go out and choose bravely. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to The Brave Files, stories of people living courageously. Visit us at thebravefilespodcast.com to learn more about the show, find our show notes, and access full episode transcripts. And we'd love to know what you think of the show. We invite you to connect with us via Instagram and send a DM. You'll find us at The Brave Files Podcast on Instagram. Our music was created and produced in a custom collaboration with Matt Lewis from ML Creative Consulting a boutique firm dedicated to helping clients identify their unique sound and amplify their brand with custom-delivered soundtracks. Special thanks to everyone on Team Brave, from our audio engineer to our producers, associate producers, copy editors, writers, and support team. The show wouldn't exist without them, and we are eternally grateful. I'm your host and executive producer, Heather Vickery. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>